So what we were creating was interactivity to be implemented into e-commerce videos that you could then shop from. Oh, I really love that hoodie that Steve's wearing. Let me just tap on the video, add it to cart, buy it, go back to watching a piece of content. And we saw this technology having endless use cases across OTT streamers, across YouTube, across Instagram and Facebook advertising, highly interactive, highly engaging, um, gamified advertising that just simply converts. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladden, and this week, our guest is Ian Feiner. Ian is the founder and CEO of Freckle TV, and in this episode, he details his path through entertainment, starting out by shooting music videos and behind-the-scenes footage while a student at Syracuse University for artists like D-Block, J. Cole, Kid Cudi, then moving to Los Angeles, forming a production company where he created ad content for the Super Bowl, a series for Netflix and other big name brands, all culminating with the launch of Freckle TV, which is a Web3 media company that focuses on interactivity and rewards-based content. Let's dive in. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going, Steve? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Excited to hear more about your journey and dive in and, and really uh, get the full scope of Freckle TV and how it came about. Uh, to that end, you know, growing up, did you always have an interest in media, in tech? Where were sort of your early inclinations and, and how did that put you on a path to Freckle? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I was um, surrounded by content, both uh, in its consumption and its creation. Uh, my father was a producer for CBS for years when I was growing up. And then as he transitioned away from the 60 Minutes team over there, he went in and created his own advertising and content company. And this was late 90s, mid to late 90s, uh, long before it was a very popular thing to do for an independent producer to create a production company and an advertising agency. And this was out of Manhattan in the 90s, right, pre 9-11. So I grew up with my father running avid editing sessions, dealing with clients, working in advertising. And because he was such a avid creator of content, both commercial and scripted and television and film, uh, we as a household were um, considerable consumers of content. Uh, we'd pop on a movie and we'd call it research, right? Um, we'd, we'd gather around the television to watch Jeopardy because it was the family thing to do. So, so I grew up not just in a, house, in a household that was um, very invested in creating content, consuming content, and the culture of entertainment, uh, but also a household of entrepreneurs. My father left, you know, the big grind of a major corporation like CBS to start his own unit. And then as uh, that sort of took off and stabilized, my mother and father opened up restaurants. So they were simultaneously entrepreneurs in two uh, harrowing industries to run a business in, uh, the entertainment industry and the food and beverage and restaurateur industry. Uh, so I was kind of um, existing in both of those lifestyles at the same time, but always surrounded by creative creativity and entrepreneurship uh, as I was growing up. Right. And so this this early exposure to it sounds like media and food and beverage and you know under the umbrella of both media and entrepreneurship kind of gave you a feel for 
both paths and and really would you say kind of culminated with your own pursuits yeah i, I mean it's funny because obviously uh I, i'm uh come from an immigrant mother right my mother is korean so uh very much tiger mom very much instilling more traditional values uh mostly of course surrounding um academia finances you know becoming a professional and things like that. So it was it was very deeply ingrained in me to not do what they did, which I think is funny. Uh, go be a doctor, go be a lawyer, you know, um, go to go to a good four year school, which I did. And um, maybe don't become an entrepreneur because it's a hard lifestyle. And I think the story that they sung a lot of the time was we're eating shit right now. So you don't have to. Right. So look at what we're doing. Look at how hard we're working. And yes, very successful. Um, but maybe we're doing this because there's a better life than entrepreneurship for you, or at least don't go into entertainment, don't go into restaurants. Uh, and I ended up more or less doing a little bit of both. Uh, so while my dad was always uh, telling me not to do one thing while surrounding me with it constantly, I think the writing was on the wall for me, right? So I, I went to Syracuse University. Uh, I, I wrote my first screenplay in middle school. It was called Click Your Dead and went on to win like screenplay competitions and stuff like that. So I think it was pretty obvious, like where I was heading and the direction I was heading. And my dad was like, ah, maybe you want to, you know, go to Wall Street or maybe you want to uh, become a lawyer or a doctor and, and not do this. Uh, right. But I ended up but I ended up uh, uh, going against his best wishes, I suppose, and moving into it. And um, I went to Syracuse University. And after about three years, I dropped out. I moved to Los Angeles and I started a production company, not all too dissimilar from the type of uh company my father had started in 1996 so i did pretty much take a page right out of his life uh, <laughs> and while he had and while he had moved on to restaurants i kind of um reignited the torch of content creation and production and i moved to los angeles and i started my my company and and would you say that the early success of that screenplay sort of cemented in your mind that all right hey i understand i'm i'm getting the influence of my parents and sort of their advice and their perspective and and obviously they want the best for me but ultimately I have to do me and and as you mentioned writings on the wall it's like you got to you got to follow your path yeah i mean i think we are the uh, the sum of the parts that created us right and obviously you know not to get too you know deep in the psychology or philosophy about it but we can try our hardest our whole lives to be different than our parents but i think for better or worse you know we get to that age right now i'm 32 and i see so much of my mother and so much of my father in me and it's hard not to attribute that to all of my you know successes in the way that i am um did that script mean anything to me no i mean it was something that i did for fun entered it for fun and I didn't even consider film schools when I was looking at colleges. Um, you know, I, I was looking at schools that had film programs, but never once did I ever enter, you know, the college experience being like, I'm going to go into content creation. I'm going to make content. I wanted to be a writer. Uh, so I, I went in for creative writing in English. Syracuse has one of the best programs for both of those in the country. So I decided to move down that path. And no matter you know, how much I tried to stay away from creating content, it sort of just ended up working its way back to me. And and how did then you move to Los Angeles, start your own production company? What was really the driving force behind that decision? 
Um, Jada Kiss and and She Gluch and the rest of uh, the guys in in D Block. Uh, <laughs> when I was a junior in college, I bought a camera and I started like just you know making videos for musicians on campus, rappers and stuff like that. And some way, somehow, I got roped into. Um, shooting the behind the scenes and hype videos for um, for D Block, which was Jadakiss, uh, Styles P, She Glued, DJ Melly Mel. They were doing a upstate New York tour. I went to Syracuse, so I followed them around and I started taking videos. And then next thing you know, you know, people are asking me to film for them. People are asking if you know I know how to do a music video or this or that. And it all kind of you know, worked itself out to where we were producing a lot of music videos uh, at a Syracuse University in, in the greater New York area for artists like J. Cole, Kid Cudi, and stuff like that. So we had a really awesome leg up creating this content for the guys at D-Block, and we totally uh, started to make a business out of it, you know, and we saw that there was an opportunity here. Um, and and we wanted to explore it and we knew that there was no better way to explore it than to just jump headfirst into it and do it and move to la and try and start you know a production company uh which we soon learned was not as simple as that <laughs> a little more layered indeed yeah and but at least you had kind of as you said the the experience with filming artists and that sort of upstate new york syracuse environment to kind of get your feet wet and cultivate a system that that worked that at least was a starting point and you weren't kind of going into the la scene just completely bare you, you had some sort of experience and 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 backing you know to to at least have a starting point you know at least to have uh enough ego to make the move <laughs> yes yeah exactly <laughs> which is which is also we important were, sure I, I think we thought we were hot shit uh, in college and we were excited about it and we said hey like let's let's take this train as far as we can go and we made that move from coast to coast and it really was like starting from scratch again no one cared uh we were a dime a dozen um the technology had become far more accessible you know in, in terms of really finding a market fit for what our business was going to be and the current landscape by all measures we were years behind you know we came mm -hmm. into it maybe five to six years too late to really do what we wanted to do um now i didn't know that at the time i'm i'm coming from succeeding anyway and looking at it from 10 years ago and saying oh wow we were really late but we did it anyway and in my head i'm like oh imagine what we could have done if we did hit it at that you know at the right moment which i thought was maybe six years earlier than we had hit it and in my head i'm seeing that potential with web3 right i'm i'm seeing it as the oh if I get into this now, I won't have that same, you know, um, hindsight or retrospect and saying, oh, man, I wish we got into this in 2020 and not 2026. Right. And that's kind of coming at it from that perspective, that learned experience of starting the production company. But no, we, we worked really hard. We worked our asses off. I mean, we had a studio apartment. We had six people living in there and my dog who you see walking around back there. Um, and, and we slowly grew it into a business. At one point we had 50 employees. We were doing wow. some of the biggest, uh, 
advertising in in the country for brands that everyone knows. We did Super Bowl commercials, we did Netflix series, we did shows for Facebook and Snapchat and uh, HBO. So we we really grew from five guys in a studio apartment, you know, the garage startup story, uh, into one of the more uh, commercially viable and successful production companies in Los Angeles. And we did it at a time where uh, one, as I mentioned, we were probably a little late to the party. Um, two, there was a hyper saturation of guys like us doing what we were doing. Um, and and three, we had nothing to really stand on, no leg to stand on other than the work that we did in Syracuse, which was pretty much nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we got really, so it was a mix of a lot of hard work uh, and a little bit of luck. Well, and, and I think also too, understanding the landscape of what you were entering and, and, and you having the sort of the foresight to, even though you had some success prior to coming to Los Angeles, also knowing and having the realization, all right, hey, had we hit this wave a little earlier, we would have been in a different place. But then it sounds like you kind of use that to your advantage moving forward. And, and even now when you're noticing the curve of Web3, perhaps you're not seeing the the trend as you are now if you hadn't had that earlier experience oh yeah i i mean web3 is wild west right now right and wild west for the film industry had long been settled and developed into a very refined and well-oiled machine by the time I got to it, right? Um, I I would have needed to have been born in 1978 to hit Hollywood (laughs) at the right time time to do the things that I'm talking about, you know, wanting to have done or, you know, timing-wise. But there's so much opportunity that I see, you know, in the Web3 space that I didn't necessarily uh, have the foresight to see in entertainment. Uh, and it's very much so possible that uh, I wouldn't even know to look for that, you know, these inklings of a of a of potential of opportunity of and future uh, if I hadn't have had that first experience in entertainment. But everything I'm doing with Freckle right now um, is is building on on what we did in the past. We're taking we're taking an industry. And we're taking um, an ecosystem that we know very, very, very well and are using Freckle TV as a way to turn a lot of the problems that we find in the industry, in the advertising, marketing and content and entertainment industry, and turn it on its head to get more value out of it, both for consumers and advertisers alike. And, and what what are some of those pain points that through having had a successful career in call it traditional film and television, what are some of those pain points that you have noticed and are addressing with Freckle TV as you move forward into the Web3 ecosystem? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, and that's sort of a loaded question um, and a good segue into sort of telling the story of why we created the brand and, and the product, uh, Freckle TV in itself. As the pandemic was taking form, right, um, our production company suffered greatly for it. And I was already making moves to sort of step away from traditional production. Um, Our company is always going to be there. It exists still to this day. We still run productions all around the country and around the world um, a few times a year. It's not the focus uh, anymore. Obviously, Freckle is the new focus. Um, But as we started creating a higher volume of content for our 
clients as opposed to you know quality. So it became this this quantity over quality because all these advertisers were now competing for attention, competing for eyeballs, competing for market share across every social media platform that advertisers use to uh, reach eyeballs, um, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, what have you. And we started to see a really poor approach to gaining that market share over other brands. And at the same time, we started to see a massive, massive influx of smaller what we call direct-to-consumer DTC, e-commerce brands, you know, just exploding out of every corner of the consumer product world. You now had, you know, gym clothing from a thousand different companies, supplements, you had workout products, you had just any industry you could think of, there was a thousand DTC companies there spending money on marketing, taking over the total addressable market and the amount of eyeballs that there were for now brands like Nike and brands like Puma and brands like, you know, Audi and BMW and all these massive brands. And they were losing market share to all these startups that were willing to spend tons of money on Instagram. Therefore, their solution was to put out more and more and more content and make it cheaper, 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 cheaper. So they could then um, support this advertising mentality of, oh, let's just get as much content out there to as many people as possible, spend as much money as we need to, and then slowly refine that marketing budget as we refine our audience. And I knew that there had to be a better way. So as we started moving away from physical production and producing content, we started moving into a world of creating interactive features to integrate into content. And what came out the other end of all of our development and ideation was Freckle Interactive and Shoppable Video. So what we were creating was interactivity to be implemented into e-commerce videos that you could then shop from. Oh, I really love that hoodie that Steve's wearing. Let me just tap on the video, add it to cart, buy it, go back to watching a piece of content. And we saw this technology having endless use cases across OTT streamers, across YouTube, across Instagram and Facebook advertising, highly interactive, highly engaging, um, gamified advertising that just simply converts. And as we continued to build out that brand, as we continued to build out all the technology and all the IP and raise money and do all the things that an e-commerce and tech startup would do, I started to get really, really into Web3. And I started to see these narrative strands connecting for what we were doing with interactivity and marketing and social media content. And then what Web3 can do in terms of transparency, a new audience, collectors, and sort of bringing those worlds together uh, and creating an interactive format that audiences can participate in to win stuff. Which is, which is really neat. And, and essentially, you know, we, we've seen sort of the early onsets of music and gamification of that industry. And so it sounds like this is sort of taking film, television, advertisement, commercial uh, content, and adding that game element, or as you said, interactivity. Where do you see that going? And, and how are you guys helping move that sort of convergence forward? Yeah, so something that we noticed with the first iteration uh, of the technology in terms of like interactivity over shoppable e-commerce uh, was that just adding interactive buttons on any piece of what was traditionally referred to as static content had a profound effect on interactivity. 
uh, something like 10, 15 X is what we were seeing um, across like the baseline tests of static content versus interactive content. And we're talking about the same piece of content targeted the same audience. The only difference was that the audience can touch stuff. Um, so when someone can interact with a brand, they're quite literally interacting with its messaging. You're getting something tangible. You're getting something tactile. You're getting something that um, is retained more often. And it's just one of those things where if someone can pick something up off the shelf in a store, they're more than likely going to remember what it's called, what color it was, what it looked like, than if they just glanced at it as they were walking by. Um, so we thought we were creating like the ultimate interactive window shopping experience. Yeah. And, and is that something that in terms of consuming content as a as a viewer that that interactivity is desired by consumers once they know that it's something they can do or do they is is it something that people will need to kind of wrap their head around to be able to understand okay hey i can this is actually i'm not going to be a passive participant in how i consume this content i can actually engage with it in a in a way that we haven't really seen before it's, it's both. Um, I think it depends on what's on the other side of that interactive, of that interaction, right? Because um, in the beginning, what was on the other side of that interaction was uh, a commerce experience. It was right. all driving sales. So when some people noticed that they were being sold something and that they had an opportunity to buy it, of course, a lot of people just didn't buy it. But there was more time spent on those pages. There was more time spent someone engaging, the session times were longer, the churnout was less. Uh, it was just all in all a more successful experience, um, which obviously led to the understanding that if a consumer is presented with an interactive experience, they're going to interact with it. Um, and brands were seeing tons of sales from these interactive ads to the point where now it became the norm. Um, we sold off a lot of the e-commerce technology and the SaaS platform we built, and you're seeing a lot of that technology being used directly in social media now. Now there's interactive photos on Instagram that you can shop with. So there was obviously a, a desire from consumers to want the conversion uh, funnel or the shopping experience to be tightened and more refined. And of course, tightening and refining that experience means that advertisers uh, will have a more distilled uh, approach on how to target those individuals. Therefore, they're spending less money. So where we found that previous um, social media advertising took this scattershot approach, we call it a shotgun approach, widespread, maybe you'll hit people over here, maybe you'll hit people over here, there, maybe they'll care about it, maybe they won't. Interactivity is really taking a sniper rifle approach and giving so much better data and attribution to advertisers, allowing them to really refine who their audience is and hit those particular uh, qualified consumers and client and customer avatars with the right messaging every single time. And when you start to do this over the scope of months to a year of an advertising cycle, you start to see exponential more success and a significant decrease in cost. And we essentially took all of those learnings and applied it to what we're doing at Freckle TV, which instead of making interactivity, the interaction be a e-commerce and a shopping experience, we've turned it into a game show experience. We've turned it into a fun and exciting um, experience that's backed by rewards so that audiences from around the world are incentivized to participate in this 
gamified programming because they know that they have a chance that every interaction they make is putting a chance and opportunity in front of them for them to win something from one of these brands that they're being quote unquote advertised from. Mm. So it's really taking it to the next level uh, and and transforming what, as you said, traditionally, and we say, I use the word uh, traditionally loosely because <laughs> everything's been growing so rapidly over the past couple of years, but what was more a relationship, between, uh, a commerce relationship of interactivity, you're saying you're now taking with Freckle TV to make that part of a, a game or part of something that viewers can both consume and participate in and and have a much richer experience with that bit of content. That's exactly right. If you think about the relationships, major, the majority of us have formed with brands, it's that of a consumer. You know, it's it's you guys make a product, you advertise the product to me, it resonates with me I, at some level, whether it's surface or at a deeper level, and therefore I am triggered and I go out and buy that product, right? We're trying to reshape those relationships that brands are forming with consumers. And we're doing this in the Web3 world because the Web3 ethos in terms of consumption and interacting and, and how we um, want to form that relationship with different brands is completely turned on its head from the Web2 world. You know, from the way that we interacted with brands at a brick and mortar level to the way we interact with brands at a social media level, now to the way that we're interacting with brands on a Web3 digital level is completely changing. And as it changes, we're trying to capture this profound ethos that Web3 has and help brands use their current loyalty, their current attraction, their legacy, their storied history in the world and reform and reshape that particular relationship that they have with people in Web3. And we're doing that by taking all the branded content they used to make, making it interactive, making it exciting, making it fun, and backing it with rewards from that brand. Now the relationship you have as a content consumer, as a, as a consumer of product is, oh, wow, I'm now participating in this Nike branded experience, but not because you're selling me something. It's because you're giving me something. You're putting an opportunity in front of me to engage with your brand in a way that doesn't feel take, 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 take. I'm giving you my time. I'm giving you my effort, my energy, you know, something that I'll never give back. And I'm giving you my money. And all I'm getting is a pair of fucking sneakers. That needs to change. Because right. it's the brands that are going to give back and connect with Web3 natives through this, through our type of platform that are really going to win. And in that way of establishing that interactivity, are you helping deepen the communal relationship between brands and the people that support them? Like, is this is is this element of interactivity helping to enhance what communities are able to do, and the and the communities around certain brands and companies are able to do, and 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 the feeling of uh, just being a part of something is this is this helping yeah. sort of push that forward? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the majority of these brands are, are trying to sell us culture, right? You know, Nike's trying to sell us greatness. Um, and everything that they do, they support that brand identity, right? Um, but the ones that really get it, really understand what a cultural impact they have, an op there's an opportunity for in Web3 
to establish themselves as just this cultural, you know, mecca of, of branding across a new cohort of consumers. Um, and they don't know how to quite reach these consumers in the best ways yet, right? It, it's, it's still being defined because it's so novel, it's so nascent, it's so fresh, you know? What we like as Web3 consumers today is not what we're going to like tomorrow, and it's really not what we're going to like next week. So brands have to be nimble, which is why these big brands are struggling, because nimble is not in their vocabulary. Right. Paperwork red tape, board meetings, <laughs> bureaucratic systems. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's in their right. That's in their vocabulary. Nimble, not in their vocabulary. Doing more for consumers and consumers do for you, not not in their vocabulary. <laughs> so these brands are struggling to service two of their goals in Web3. The first, how do we reach Web3 people? How do we how do we meet Web3 people where they are on their platforms, on their Twitters, their Discords? How do we speak their language? How do we create products that the Web3 native audience is going to be interested in. And at the same time, how do we do all that while onboarding our Web2 brand loyalists for the last 50 years? How do we create a new digital product without pissing and alienating our core audience? And then how do we use our legacy, our brand, you know, our Nike, our McDonald's, our whatever recognition in the world to hold all of our consumers' hands and walk them through this scary Web3 world that they don't understand, but they probably desperately need to. And we as a McDonald's or a Nike or a big brand are going to be way better positioned for this new future if we're the ones holding the majority of the hands. And what does this handholding look like in terms of Freckle TV's content that perhaps isn't necessarily extremely focused on brands, but you know is, is interactive in other ways? Right. Well, the first is, is that we let these brands name our games, take over as sponsors. So when you're seeing a piece of content on our platform, it's more than likely going to be presented by this brand or that brand. Um, so from a Web3 perspective, we already have social proof right there. You know, oh, wow, these brands are working with this Web3 content company. They're lending their branding, their name. That's exciting. Um, and then we're creating an experience that can be played by anybody on the planet, no matter their age, you know, no matter their Web3 nativity. It doesn't matter. We've created a seamless, friction-free, easy-to-play browser-based game that anyone can tune in and spend five minutes every day and interact with this branded content experience without really feeling like they're being advertised to, without feeling like they're being their data is being harvested or they're being retar uh, retargeted maliciously. This is just a fun branded game that you're playing and you're earning rewards from that brand because they're sponsoring it. So it's really mm -hmm. taking a simple concept like a five question trivia game that everybody loves trivia, everybody loves Jeopardy, everybody loves game shows, everybody loves being part of something, everybody loves a winning experience. We all love to win, right? And, and we've really taken that concept allowed brands to tap into it and reach that Web3 audience that we have playing our game all the time and onboard their communities, their loyalists, their people into Web3 via this experience that they just think they're playing a fun video game. Mm. Nothing mm. about it is, nothing about it is uh, uh, clouded in jargon. Nothing about it is overly complicated or confusing. You don't need to know what wallets are, what seed phrases are. We make it really easy for, you know, the Web3 layman to come in and experience something that is fully Web3. 
that they're that they're not losing any piece of like the core entertaining experience by by partake participating. Right. And and what what in this example, or if you could provide one, what what would that participation look like? How like how would you go from as you as you mentioned uh, a layman uh, Web three novice, perhaps you know I, I I find the game that's sponsored by the brand. What what's what are sort of the steps that one has to go through in order to participate and then have that kind of experience of oh I just played something that is associated with this brand I feel good about it from a from a mechanical standpoint from like a user experience standpoint it's very it's not very different from signing into any other like mobile app or or game that you play whether you play Wordle or Words with Friends or whether you played HQ Trivia back in the day you know. At its core, this game is extraordinarily familiar, no matter who you are or what types of games you're used to playing uh, on, on a mobile device or on a desktop computer. So in this particular example, I'll just use Carnival Cruise because we're going to be partnering with Carnival Cruise to do you know, a live stream game over the summer uh, where the winner of this game gets a Carnival Cruise expenses paid you know, for them and three friends or four friends to, to go on this trip. So you could have heard about this game from many different channels. Maybe you heard it from the Web3 Twitter, because Web3 Twitter is circulating it. Maybe you got it from our Discord or one of our partners' Discord, like we invite probably nothing and Golden Egg Club holders to participate in this game because we're partnering with them on this game. And they heard about it from that Discord or another Discord. Or maybe you saw it from Carnival Cruises giveaway. You've never even heard of Web3. You just saw Carnival Cruises Twitter is doing a giveaway, and all you have to do is play trivia. You click on the link. You create an account, you've made a wallet in that process without even really knowing it, you know, very Reddit in, in many ways. Uh, and then you just participate in this 20 minute game. And at the end of it, you'll know where you are on the leaderboard. You'll know if you won. We have dozens of other prizes from other sponsors. And this whole entire time, you just participated in a 20, we just captured your attention for 25 minutes. In the world of TikTok and Instagram reels where you can't get anybody for 10 seconds we just got you for 25 minutes. We got you in a fully branded Carnival Cruise uh, um, piece of content. And at the end of it, of all the thousands of participants, we've given away tens of thousands of dollars in prizes to make you feel better about an experience that maybe if there was no prizes or no gamification or rewards behind it, you would have felt maybe a little, you know, like more was taken from you mm. out of that experience than more was given to you. And that's the goal right there. Got it. So so really the goal is to kind of tip the scales. And as you were saying before, with the Web3 ecosystem of trying to create essentially that balance of give and take between brand, individual, brand, consumer, it's, it's the end goal is having the participant leave with, with the satisfaction, not only of maybe, you know, signing up with, for a wallet and, and all those great things, but really okay, hey, I, I invested my 25 minutes, my 20 minutes, and I left and I don't feel depleted. I don't feel used. I don't feel taken advantage of. I feel like, all right, this was a, a relationship that worked. Yeah. And I think trying to um, reach a closer you know, level of symbiosis there is, is the ultimate goal. Um, I think consumers are so used to having everything taken from them at, like at the speed of light that they don't even realize how much they're losing in terms of their personal data, but more so their time. And I say this in every Zoom, Twitter space interview, time is the most precious commodity. It's endlessly depreciating. We will not get it back. 
you know, you will not get this hour back, Steve. So I hope it was worth it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it it has been. No yes. matter, yeah, you can make another buck tomorrow, but you can't make back today. And in that regard, we just want people to feel like they are being appreciated and rewarded for the time they are spending on a multi-jillion dollar company's advertising. That's that that's that's as simple as I could boil it down. Appreciate you boiling it down with such simplicity. Is is this something we're going to see, say, shift when a piece of content maybe has no brand attached overtly, but perhaps there's some relationship between the content creator and the brand and behind the scenes, maybe not not in a dishonest way, but are we going to see perhaps content created with branded integration that just is an experience that people can, meaning like, are, are people going to watch a TV show or a movie and suddenly have that interactability that we're talking about here with, with a branded game in uh, a sitcom, in uh, a, a piece of reality TV? Like, is, is that where all of this is potentially heading? Yes and no. I, I think we've seen time and time again, Hollywood try to shoehorn interactivity into content. Um, and a lot of it is standalone experiences. And I think that works great, right? I think, you know, the new Dungeons and Dragons movies coming out, you know, some third party tech company gets hired to create like a standalone AR Dungeons and Dragons experience, whatever, right? You know, you've seen it. We've seen, we've seen these sort of standalone experiences uh, made to enhance um, something that's going on, right? You see it all the time at, at Comic-Con or at any of these conventions, you know, right? These big branded experiences. Um, but you you see this every day and you've seen it for 50 years of content with product placement. Um, brands are already heavily involved in sitcoms and, and stuff like that. There's a reason why, you know, the hosts of American Idol are drinking out of Coca-Cola cups, right? There's a reason why Childish Gambino is wearing Beats by Dre in an episode of Atlanta. Um, and, and interestingly enough, when we first created Freckle as an interactive shopping company, um, the main bread and butter target for us was to actually make those shows shoppable. So, oh, wow, Childish Gambino is wearing Beats by Dre in an episode of Atlanta. Who knows how much Apple paid to have that featured so prominently on screen? They're never going to see those sales directly attributed back to that spend. So the ROI there is really murky, right? So our goal was to was to clear out a path of attribution. Oh, Childish Gambino wearing these Beats by Dre's in this episode of Atlanta. 200,000 people bought in that moment from that video. That's really, really amazing, right? Um, and I think that we face uphill battles because of how many individuals are involved in creating those relationships between brands and content and celebrities and consumers to the point where I just didn't even want to touch it until the timing was right. So for us, it went back to creating our own content for these brands. So as we think about the future of what we're doing, it's to be the next Netflix or HBO or Snapchat or what have you. It's to be the next studio, the next streamer, the next distributor, the next publisher of brand-sponsored interactive content. And we've called it a game show network because that's what it is. We want to create nothing but gamified content that appeals to 
Web3 and Web2 audiences and consumers alike. That's entirely powered under the hood by a Web3 engine. At the surface, it's just a fun game show experience. And every single show that we're producing that's on our platform for consumption is going to be backed by either partnerships in the Web3 space or partnerships in, in the uh, product or brands, branded space. So whether we're working with, you know, the Cryptoon Goons or the Apes or whoever on creating shows that leverage their IPs into what we're trying to create as a platform, or we're doing like what I mentioned with Carnival Cruise or with UFC or with the MLB or NBA or whoever to create these one-off live stream events that are really special and giving away this massive prize that are putting these brands or institutions or organizations at the forefront of this content. That's really the goal for us is to have this really, really robust platform where people can come in and watch tons of content all backed by rewards and everything like that. So do I think interactivity is going to be a big piece of the entertainment industry's future? Maybe, but I do believe that rewards will be. Hmm. So if you look at uh, back in when Breaking Bad was first created, right? There was maybe a hundred ish scripted pieces of television, like piloted, getting distributed that year across everything, right? Now, 600, 600 new scripted. So there's no shortage of content. There's no shortage of platforms. So my firm belief is that if Netflix started rewarding me with stuff for spending more time on their shows than HBO shows, you may get me to see past poor content with better rewards. You may get me to take more risks on shows, but if you look at what MoviePass did, you know, five, 10 years ago before they fucked up, <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were creating what we used to call bad movie insurance. I can go to any movie and if it sucks, I just walk out, I spend no money, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, same, the same concept we're trying to capture here, right? You know, there's so much content out there, right? But if you are actually incentivizing me with some type of reward, it doesn't have to be fiscal or monetary, but any sort of reward by watching your content over another platform's content, you're probably going to get me to take more risks on your content. You're probably going to get me to watch that baking show or that thriller that I probably wouldn't have glanced at. But because you're offering double rewards for the next week of anyone who watches this new show, maybe I'll give it a go. Mm. And, and, and now you're creating this win-win scenario for consumers, advertisers, brands, and platforms. We get your eyeballs, you get the reward, the brand gets it, everyone's incentivized, everyone's happy, and you're creating a very cohesive, and back to that word we used before, symbiotic relationship between creators and consumers. Right, which is really neat. And so if that experience is positive for, say, the viewer, for the consumer, there's a likelihood perhaps that they repeat and, okay, hey, I had a really enjoyable experience. I didn't. I took a chance on the horror movie that I wasn't going to watch, but because there were uh, there was a reward incentive, I did. I actually enjoyed it. Now the next time this similar uh, type of experience is offered, or, or something in that lane, I'm more likely to participate in it. Not only because it has a reward, but because I actually enjoyed the system of going through to get the reward. It's gamification and gamification, right? And yeah. we've and we've done that, <laughs> yeah, we've done that a little bit with our reward system as well. 
Of course, the process of playing our games is by nature interactive and gamified, but the process for submitting raffle tickets for prizes and sort of your position in our uh, platform about how you choose to either go for smaller prizes or wait for bigger prizes, hodl your earnings, go head to head with different people. You know, there's a lot of opportunities for you to sort of find your way and how you're going to interact with, with our platform. Are you going to play a hundred days in a row so that you could submit one entry for that blue chip NFT? Or are you going to just put every single day's earnings into smaller prizes like hot sauce and Funko Pops? It's really up to you how you want to approach the rewards in our platform, right? But I think Who's going to win is who's going to make the best relationships and offer the best rewards. Um, right now, it's who's making the best content. And that is highly subjective, right? Right. If you look at all the streamers I'm paying for, there's so many of them that, that I'm actively and currently paying for because I love consuming content. Going back to my childhood, I watch everything. And so maybe I know you mentioned the Carnival Cruise uh, partnership for the summer. What else coming down the uh, Freckle TV pipeline do you have that you're excited about that you know you could speak to in the, in the coming months? So we did just celebrate our year anniversary. So we've uh, been around for a whole year now, which is really, really exciting. We launched last year on May the 4th, uh, partnered with Disney, did a Disney live stream game, 25 questions, 45 minutes. We had thousands of people playing from all over the world. And uh, it was all Star Wars themed. It was amazing. A few weeks after that, we launched our daily trivia platform. That's been running live since May 23rd. So in about a week or two, we'll be celebrating the year anniversary of the daily trivia platform launch, which is very exciting. And um, we just did um, episode two of our Star Wars giveaway, which is amazing. So today we're actually announcing uh, the winner of the Star Wars Disneyland giveaway. So we'll be sending two more people to Disneyland here in Anaheim, California. And then in about a week or two, I think we're looking at 16 days right now, we'll be releasing version two of our platform. We're calling it season one. Um, so the platform is gonna undergo a number of changes. Uh, our NFT holders are gonna start to get earnings utility out of the platform, which is very exciting. We're releasing a new game show that we're calling What the Fuck Is That? WTF Is That? Really, really fun viral game show can be played in like 60 to 90 seconds. We basically just show hyper zoomed in images of anything, fruit, dirt, stainless steel, whatever you can think of. And it slowly pulls back and you have 10 seconds to answer what you think the object is. And it's like almost microscopic images of things, you know, um, shy of showing molecular structures you know, <laughs> yeah, no, there. Pro no protons and neutrons yeah right so um if you answer like the fastest you can answer you'll get 10 points if you answer as slowly as you can answer you get one point at the end of the day there's a leaderboard at the end of the month there's a winner that type of thing really really fun game anyone can play it again we're going for fun interactive video based games that anyone can just be excited about we're really excited about what the fuck is that we think it's going to be one of those things that'll go like viral on tiktok uh with any with any luck so um that's getting released probably in july as well and then of course we have our big carnival cruise giveaway so the plan for season one is to do three special events uh, similar to the Carnival Cruise one, and then release at least two new game shows in the next six months, including What the Fuck is That? So we're really pumped for uh, for that additional show and all the other you know special events that we're going to be doing. Super cool. And and just out of curiosity, 
with these game shows? Are there traditional hosts as we come to know them? And, and how does that all kind of play out into the future of both content creation and, and what you guys are doing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, look, there'd be no Jeopardy without Trebek, right? You right. know? Uh, so for our daily trivia game, they are hosted. I actually host these games myself. Um, that was due more so, uh, a, that was more so a financial decision than a, than, than one to support my own vanity. Uh, <laughs> but you know, 12, 12 years, uh, producing behind the camera. I never wanted to be in front of it. Uh, but when we were just starting out, you know, we were bootstrapped pretty hard. We didn't like do an NFT collection. So we didn't have that million dollar of funny money raise. So I wasn't able to hire a SAG actor and, you know, do it the right way. So the team said, hey, why don't you do it for now and let's see how that shakes out on the other end. And now 260 games later, I've been doing it every other week, going into the studio and recording them. I have a lot of fun with it. They're they're great. The community really enjoys me doing it. So I'll continue to do it until it's no longer uh, a viable option, which is coming soon. Uh, what the fuck is that is actually going to be a format testing no host. Mm. So there might be a voiceover. Uh, or something funny behind it. We're, we're still playing around with some ideas. We've done a couple test episodes um, and the host just doesn't make sense for now. So we're, we're trying to figure it out. So I think at scale, there will be a mix of hosted games and non-hosted games. But I think the general understanding is at least to start, they're all content-based games. So you're never going to see like an 8-bit arcade or our version of a, of a um, Maze Runner. Is that it? Like you're never going to see our version of a Maze Runner or our version of a Wordle or a Jumble. They're all going to be like video-based games. And that's the idea. That's what makes them game shows and not necessarily like an 8-bit arcade or mini-game platform. Got it. Got it. Super cool. Super cool. Um, well, Ian, where, where can people find you, find Freckle TV? They want to get, uh, more information. They want to get immersed. How can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely follow us on Twitter. It's at Freckle Trivia, F-R-E-C-K-L-E-T-R-I-V-I-A, Freckle Trivia. Um, our Discord is popping. We're always doing fun giveaways. We're always running like Rumble or Poker and, uh, you know, our mods love giving all of our stuff away. We have... I look, we've got storage units filled with Funko Pops and Haritos and Happy Dad and Manscaped Razors and stuff from our um, amazing sponsors. So you can tune in right now to freckle.live, H-T-D-P-S, freckle.live, um, and play a trivia game every Monday through Friday. So every Monday through Friday, every weekday, there's a new trivia game, five questions, five minutes every day. Every day you play, you earn a raffle ticket and... Um, those raffle tickets can be drawn for all the amazing prizes from all of our sponsors, NFTs, uh, vacation packages, luggage, you know, razor games, anything you can imagine. We've got it in there. It's an amazing prize pool. Amazing. Freckle.live and start playing right now. Very cool. Very cool. Ian, appreciate the time. Appreciate uh, you explaining more about Freckle TV and your journey and uh, what you have coming up and really that inter intersection of, rewards and interactivity and and what we can expect to see in content in web3 from you guys and hopefully beyond uh, in the future yeah i i think it's all uh, the future and hopefully we're at the front page of the web amen amen steve thanks for having me i really appreciate it <laughs> sure thing 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.